Welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my co-hosts... Carol. Matt. Mel! And we're a bunch of Hoopleheads here to finish talking about the movie, Deadwood, colon, the movie. I'm glad we split this into two parts, because at the end of the first part, I was starting to flag. (laughs) It was a long episode. Yeah. You will recall from our, our Boardwalk Empire episode of Hooplecast, when we talked about Prohibition... The 18th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. You may not remember the year it was ratified, but that was in 1919. But did you know that at the time, South Dakota was already suffering under prohibition for the second time? Mm. No, I did not. No. The movie took place in November of 1889, when South Dakota was becoming a state. When the state constitution was being drafted... Some wanted prohibition included as part of the state constitution, but some of the legislators were afraid to combine the issues of statehood with prohibition, thinking that if you were to combine the two, the entire thing would just fail. So they made prohibition a standalone ballot question and got some Hooplecast contributors to uh, read some articles to us from the Black Hills Daily Times and the Daily Deadwood Pioneer to discuss the uh, the prohibition question. So... um was the prohibition, was that supposed to be going on at the time this movie takes place? About a year after. Oh, after. Well, the movie took place in November. These articles you're going to hear span October 1st through October 19th. So I'm guessing that both statehood and prohibition passed around the same time. Mm. But it being Deadwood, it was not enforced. <laughs> Yeah, that was one of my thoughts. Was I'm curious as to whether any of these articles indicate how inf- how much it was enforced, uh, because I would imagine some towns would just totally ignore it. And they did, and I've got some fun facts about that too. But first, let's hear from some of our readers. A perusal of the annual financial statement of Lawrence County for the fiscal year ending July 1st, 1888, shows that the revenue to the county from liquor licenses is very nearly one-half as much as from all the sources combined, and to vote for prohibition means to vote to add to already overburdened taxpayers of Lawrence County an increase of 33%. In other words, and plainly put, if an individual's tax amounts to $40— and the prohibition carries, his tax will be increased to $60. This certainly is not pleasant to contemplate, when it is a known fact that just as much liquor will be sold and consumed under the prohibitory law, and without tax, license, or revenue to the county, as is now sold under the permit and license system. Farmers, businessmen, taxpayers, are you willing to assume the $40,000 additional taxation that prohibition, by abolishing license revenue, will impose upon you? Such will result if prohibition carries, while the liquor traffic will not only be suppressed, but all regulating laws will be abolished. On the score of economy, then, as well as for sound political reasons, and to advance the cause of temperance, vote for the prohibition? No. (laughs) Remember that the laboring population of Lawrence County pays $5,000 every 12 months over the counters of the saloons, that the saloons may contribute $26,000 to the county revenue. 
Don't be deceived by any line of argument that a person, a family, a city, a country, a state, or a nation can be rich by reason of maintaining or indulging in the drink habit, or that any of these will be made poorer by being delivered from the most extravagant curse that has ever afflicted mankind. For the first 10 years of its history, Lawrence County paid out more money to prosecute the criminals and to support the paupers produced by the drink business than it received from liquor licenses and fines during the same years. A fact! (laughs) The drink will never be abolished except by prohibition of the saloon. License does not plan to abolish it, but to perpetrate it forever. A solemn fact. The drinking ranks of tomorrow are recruited from the boys of today. If there is drunkenness in the next generation, the boys of today must be the drinkers. How many boys of this country are you willing to sacrifice to the drink habit for the privilege of receiving $26,000 for liquor licenses? Whose boys shall they be? Your neighbors or yours? Vote for the boys and the home, quote Governor Larrabee of Iowa. I think that more than half the jails in the state are entirely empty at the present time. There are 98 less convicts in our penitentiaries than there were three years ago, notwithstanding the growth of the population. Expenses in criminal court have decreased very largely in these past few years. As to the deprecation of the value of real estate occasioned by prohibition, it is the sheerest nonsense. Crops grow, herds multiply, and the markets of the world continue open to us the same as before. And why should business suffer? Money is now spent for the necessities of life and for the legitimate uses instead of being spent at the saloon. (laughs) Prohibition reduces crime. Prohibition brings prosperity. Vote for prohibition. Yes. (laughs) God planted the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden and forbid Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit thereof. But when our fair mother disobeyed, Did God prohibit the growing of apples or blast and wither the trees that grew the fruit? No, he punished the man and woman and permitted the tree to grow. If this teaches us anything, it teaches that God created temptation and held man responsible for his own conduct. Sin exists in man, not in innate things. And the Bible, from preface to finis, teaches man's responsibility for his individual conduct. God might have destroyed the tree, but in his wisdom, he did not do so. But our prohibition friends would be wiser than God and destroy and prohibit the manufacture of all alcoholic liquors that a few men might escape responsibility of their own conduct. We cannot see how any true Christian who believes in Christ and the Bible can favour prohibition. At the Lord's Supper, he took his cup and blessed it and said, This is my blood. Take it. Drink it in remembrance of me. You. If sin lurks in all liquor, if the drinking of a glass leadeth man to destruction and ruin, then Christ did mankind a terrible wrong when he took it for one of the symbols of the most sacred rites known to the Christian church. 
When Christ performed the miracle of turning water to wine and giving it to the multitude, he again did mankind a fearful wrong if our prohibition friends are correct. We cannot find authority for prohibition in the Holy Scripture, and Christ never taught such a doctrine. On the other hand, it does teach man's responsibility to God for his conduct. It teaches that man must be his own guardian against sin and temptation, and he alone is responsible for his conduct. Perhaps some honest Christian prohibitionist may enlighten us, but with our present light, we do not see how true Christians can favour prohibition. Three or four of the saloon keepers have declared a boycott against the pioneer, and in doing so took occasion to violently abuse its collectors, carriers, and other hired men. Just why this was done is not apparent, unless for the reason that the pioneer did not, during the campaign, assail the advocates of prohibition as cranks and fanatics, as did other papers. The pioneer opposed prohibition, and the whole working force of the office voted against it. Space was given to the WCTU for the discussion of the subject, and they alone are responsible for whatever appeared in their column, for which the pioneer has no apologies to make. We simply say to those few saloon keepers who have boycotted the pioneer that, if persistent, they will bring upon themselves the restrictions of the law and the enforcement of statutes, closing at 11 o'clock every night and remaining closed on Sundays, and the prohibition of gambling in or adjoining the premises. See Section 3, Chapter 35 of the Political Code, and see 728 of the Penal Code. It is just such arbitrary actions as these that makes votes for prohibition and bring into disfavor and dispute the saloon business. The great majority of Deadwood's present saloon keepers are just as quiet, orderly, liberal-minded, and good citizens as we have. But there are a few of the loudmouth type who overrate their influence in the community and still cling to the old border ruffian delusion that a white apron, immaculate shirt front, and dexterous handling of glasses and mixings of decoctions constitutes a gentleman and an important member of society. Such men are a great detriment to the respectable men engaged in the business. To such we say, read this calmly, deliberately, and dispassionately, and then devote a few hours of serious meditation before you say whether you want peace or war. If peace, well and good, you will not be disturbed. If war, either observe the statutes or provide yourself with funds to pay a fine every time you violate them. I'm a prohibitionist, snapped Denny, as he donned his most antagonistic scowl, and I knew that it would carry in North Dakota if the voters were given a whack at it. I believe in prohibition. Prohibitionists are extreme men. Extreme men rule the world, and the cranks are the kind of people I want to associate with. I knew prohibition would win if anyone shook a red flag. The only thing I feared was that no one would flash a flag. The only reason prohibition wasn't carried in this country was because no one opposed it. If one or two of you high-flying antis had opened your bazoo or shot off your wad, it would have won by an overwhelming majority. And when you buck against an extreme man, you slap a lion in the jaw. With this remark, Denny gave his jaw a slap that resounded for a block, squirted liquid nicotine over a sign-bearer, and exclaimed, Now I want the law enforced. I want every man that lifts a glass of booze to his mug to go up for 90 days. Every man who sells a drop to the Sandwich Islands. 
and every man caught with a bottle in his pocket to be arrested and punished for high treason. We extreme men are getting there. We are four-time winners, and we will have no compromise. Now, if the legislature will pass laws in accordance with my views, defy the world, and shoot the soup into every man that does not hail from Iowa or Kansas, I will feel that the antagonizers are being properly recognized in Dakota politics. Hurrah for prohibition! Now, let's have women's suffrage, free love, a decent sprinkling of Mormons, and Seventh-day Baptists. And damn me if I won't feel that this is the antagonizer's paradise and that I have been vindicated. With this remark, Denny shot across the street, muttering something about the recognition of extreme men and the wisdom of thoroughbred cracks, while a beatific smile danced like forked lightning about his extreme face. Wow. Pioneer Press recently received a very vituperative, profane, and obscene letter from a prohibition crank, and for the double purpose of punishing the writer and of securing a text, published it on the editorial page together with the following scathing, yet deserved, and very true commentary. Probably the severest punishment ever received by the writer of the above is that which he will experience today when, to his astonishment, he sees his vulgar and profane letter in print. The Pioneer Press believes that he deserves it and that it is worthwhile, because there is in this the text for a sermon on temperance quite as earnest and as eloquent as any ever delivered from a cold water platform. This violent and obscene effusion is only a sample of what is received weekly, and sometimes daily, by every man who, in the exercise of an honest opinion, and following the plain lessons of experience, dares to advocate the regulation of the liquor traffic by reasonable and effective laws. They do not, of course, hurt him any, but they ought to give a bad half-hour of reflection to the people who welcome the writers of them as hearty allies. We do not, of course, make the mistake of confusing this poor creature with the honest and honorable men and women who believe in and support prohibition, but we do want them to consider this example, which is fully as frightful as that of a drunkard reeling to his gutter. It is surely not worse that a man should debase his body and stupefy his mind with drink than he should become such a slave in his passions and so depraved in heart and brain as to be capable of writing the letter which we have reproduced. The Prohibition people are rather fond of terrible examples. Here is one that might well make the most zealous of them stop to consider if he has ever really understood what temperance ought to mean. Prohibition does not prohibit people of the Black Hills from visiting the largest and best equipped mercantile establishment in South Dakota, the Brick Store, Lead City. <laughs> Have just received three carloads, California canned and dried fruits, fresh from the orchids, packed by the celebrated San Jose Packing Company. <laughs> also, two carloads of the celebrated juniper canned fruits and vegetables, all of the pack of 1889. These brands are without an equal on this earth. We also have the choicest line of staple and fancy groceries ever brought to the hills. Our prices paralyze all competitors. Whoa. Brick store, lead city. I feel paralyzed now. (laughs) Sorry, this whole thing reminded me of like, just basically a Facebook feed. Yes, it reminds me of Facebook. (laughs) It's just people right? making the stupidest <laughs> arguments. <laughs> and then there's an ad at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, skip the dishes.
Let's get the dishes, get some canned vegetables. <laughs> Which one of us has been thinking too loudly about uh, buying canned vegetables? <laughs> Somehow those ads always appear if you've even been thinking about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's always the scary part. It's like, I, wait I a minute. Let me know. Did I even say that out loud? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. And if I did say it out loud, how'd you know? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a lot of back and forth on prohibition. Did prohibition basically come from puritanical ideals? Nah, not necessarily. In a no. lot of cases, it there was it came from a lot from uh, the women's movement to some degree because there was a lot of um, no good husbands. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, domestic abuse by yeah, drunken that's... husbands, and there weren't a lot of laws, and there weren't a lot of. I mean, women just as now, but much worse, more so, could not count on law enforcement or anything like that. The idea was that, you know, whatever a man did in his own home to his wife and his kids was his business and nobody else's. And uh, so wife and kids were pretty much property. So when they were drunk, the idea was that if you could get them to not be drunk so often, then they wouldn't abuse their wife and kids as often. Mm. So Deadwood.com is, I believe the official website of the city of Deadwood and they have a timeline and according to the timeline, the vote for prohibition went into effect May 1st, 1889 or the law went into, into effect May 1st, 1889. But then how do I have articles from October of that year advocating you vote for or against it? I don't, that doesn't track. Mm. No, it doesn't. I mean, it seems like Deadwood must have the wrong date unless there was a, Huh. Unless there was a citywide thing going on and a statewide thing going on. Hmm. I mean, yeah, that 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 could be. But yeah, you know, there could have been something. Yeah, local ordinance and I don't know. Yeah, but statewide, it was combined at at first with the issue of statehood, and then it was separated into its own ballot initiative, and it was approved. It passed. It is now illegal to manufacture, transport, or sell alcohol. Then six years later. Citizens had a change of heart. They voted Prohibition out. But then by 1916, better organized dry factions, including the Anti-Saloon League, churches, and the Women's Christian Temperance League, succeeded in getting another vote that hoisted South Dakotans back onto the Prohibition wagon. I really liked, by the way, the argument of, like, well, Jesus was, like, saying you should drink wine, so... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. That one Are was... you saying Jesus was wrong? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that was great. <laughs> yeah, really. I also really thought that the the newspaper was like, whoa, go for it. Where they were basically threatening, you know, the um, the saloons that if you're going to ban us or if you're going to, you know, be violent towards our people um, and declare war on us, be careful because we're going to start reporting you to the to the authorities whenever you break a rule and and uh, uh-huh. don't don't make us our your enemy because we'll we're gonna fight back. And it's like yeah. we need to do some fighting back now to some of these things going on. And it's like, yeah, let's let's go. Yeah, be prepared paper. to pay a fine. Yeah. And just because be you uh, can handle those glasses and mix those decoctions doesn't make you the gentleman that you think you are. <laughs> Yeah, decoctions. I was looking at that. I was like, whoa. Now I want to go look up when 
deco- what decoctions specifically means and when it became concoctions instead. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm nerdy, but that's the way it is. <laughs> um, meanwhile, in Deadwood, they totally ignored all these efforts for prohibition. Both the first one and then the second one. And then the second one transitioned into the federal law. So by the time that happened in the 18th Amendment in 1919, South Dakota already had it. But they had a hard time enforcing it. So they got more, they got the federal help of enforcing it. But here's another article. Uh, if there's any place in Deadwood that exemplifies the un- ingenuity of the locals to work around the federal prohibition law, it's the Fairmont Hotel. Ron Russo owns the Fairmont. He points to a large diamond-shaped area of a tiled wall. Tiles have obviously been replaced. They cover a hole where alcohol was once discreetly passed to employees of the then Sacramento restaurant. How did the alcohol get into the Fairmont Hotel to be passed next door during the Prohibition years? Ron discovered the answer while making renovations to the building and with the help of an old-timer by the name of Willie Steinlick. And Willie walked through the basement with me, Russo recalls. He showed me where the swimming pool was. Well, they had a swimming pool. And he said that they would pull in a wagon with cream containers full of alcohol, and then they would spirit them down into the basement. They would put them in the swimming pool, then they covered it with a tarp. Enter the fireman. An employee paid to keep the coal burning for the furnace in the hotel basement. The firemen then put the alcohol in jugs that were in the floor of the basement, Russo explains. The alcohol was then siphoned into pint or half-pint bottles that were given to the hotel staff for sale to guests or for passing through to the restaurant next door. Girls working in adjacent brothels, there were several, hid the bottles in the water tanks of old pull-chain-style bathrooms for their clients. The routine was similar in Deadwood's saloons, all 34 of them, until Prohibition was repealed in 1933, the 21st Amendment. So they came in jugs, and then another guy came in and took them from jugs to put them, in, to put them into d- new jugs? That, that part I didn't get. They were already in jugs. I know you want to put them in bottles. Why did you move them from one jugs to new jugs? <laughs> this seems like an unnecessary step. You're overcomplicating things. Unless it's that uh, you have your jugs and the guy who makes the m- liquor or whatever, if it's moonshine, if it's something being made, then he needs his, his jugs back to be able to fill them up again. Why not? I have cream containers and you have cream containers and I just give you new. After I just move them from, from the cream containers to the bottles, I just give you back the empty cream containers. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's not <laughs> that many. It's weird. They're like... Out in the middle of nowhere, also, so... Also, I booked a reservation at this hotel because it said it had a swimming pool, and you're telling me I can't use the pool? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I don't think they necessarily are... Here, here's a bottle of moonshine. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't think swimming pools were a thing back then. You know, a lot of places had swimming pools um, that don't anymore. Like, a lot of city... Um, schools that were built like, you know, way back when, like 1900 or 19 teens, had swimming pools. And uh, they've all been like converted to basketball courts or, or whatever. It's interesting. I'm not quite sure. I think it, they felt like city kids needed to learn to swim or something. Mm. Someday you should check out the Sutro Baths in San Francisco. It was a swimming pool. It was sort of inside-outside. Because it was right, it's right on the ocean, but it was also covered. Yeah. And anyway, it's like in ruins now, and you can walk around the ruins of where the baths were, like go right down to 
where they were. Yeah, were they swimming pools or were they baths? Because like, yeah, uh, I, I I think of Roman baths or whatever, but yeah, how would they clean a swimming pool back then? <laughs> Unless it you know had a constant source of flowing water coming in and going out and all that. I don't think it was like fresh water. I think it was probably salt water right from the ocean, but around it they built docks and I think slides and things too. San Francisco, mm. probably, you're absolutely right. It's probably from the ocean. Just like um, uh, the Palisades Amusement Park in New Jersey that was really cool. It had the biggest saltwater pool in the world, I think it was. And they would pump the water up from from the Hudson River and, uh, you know, right into this. Because Hudson River at that point has a lot of salt in it. Great job uh, reading those, everyone. Yes. Those were enjoyable. Wow, yeah. Amazing. That was Jonathan, Nutty, Mark, Anthony, Chris, Steve, and Robin. Wow. I think it was the third person, the first person who had an accent there. I think that guy should go into voice acting for video games. <laughs> Everybody did a great job. Yes. yes. We kind of barreled toward the end of the movie last time without really talking about Al's death scene. I think that was like the one scene we didn't really like deep dive into. Did anyone have anything to say about that? Mm. Was it a for sure death? There was no ambiguity? I don't think there was ambiguity. I think he he died right then. Yeah, he died. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely a death scene. It took me by surprise. I didn't think he would. I could hear him like coughing and sort of like being sick throughout the movie but it i was surprised that it ended with him dying especially since it doc was still alive and he seemed to get through all of season three with a cough a hey, bad cough yeah he bounced, he bounced back from his uh uh tuberculosis or whatever it was yeah but they they gave so it was such a build-up that you definitely you know it was not i didn't find it surprising um, I wasn't sure he was going to die, but then at the end, he's giving away, you know, basically getting everything in order. True, so. true. He was doing that. Yeah. Well, I was sad for Al, but at least he redeemed himself as a person, kind of, <laughs> before he went out. Yeah. Which he had done, maybe you could say, earlier than this movie, even. But Yeah, though, I have to admit, the the first ending of the series had left a really bad taste in my mouth having to do with Al. What what was it again? Just killing the, killing the prostitute. Because he was, you know, the whole thing where he killed the woman. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, And the fact that it was brought up again and it was kind of dealt with in a way, um, it, it it did make Al's death. And also we have a lot more distance. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it made it less awful the fact that for ten years you can imagine the shadow of Jen like hung over them, yeah, and were haunted by it and the choices they made and yeah, yeah, well, that it, 
it was something that, you know, they were all dealing with and Al was dealing with as much as he, he had made it seem almost like, well, you know, Hey, this is what, this is what we've got to do at the time. The fact that it's hung over them for this long and, and not really taken lightly did make a difference to me, at least when I was watching it. Mm. I thought it was a nice scene, a sweet scene. I like that Jewel was there and that she was massaging his feet mm-hmm. and that they sang Waltzing Matilda together. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Then it started to snow, which was lovely. And- right. That was nice. They have such a nice, like, family dynamic mm-hmm. in that show. Like, it's really nice. Like, just that whole town. Most dif- dysfunctional family you Yeah, but it's just like they all look out for each other and it's really nice to see. Yeah. I think that's part of the appeal of Deadwood, too. Yeah. Right, let's get into feedback. Do it. I will briefly read Anthony's feedback, who is one of our readers for Reader's Theater. He said, I didn't much like it. There. What? what? He didn't say why. No reason? He didn't say why. Oh, come on. And <laughs> try harder than that. <laughs> come on, but we want to know why. You I know. That. I, I. That's like, you don't like it? That's good. I would love to know why. So if it's nothing but praise, then it's a little bit boring, but... You know, give us a give us your opinion. It's totally valid because it is an opinion. Maybe one of our feedbackers, because we do have uh, five or six that send in emails. Maybe one of them didn't like it. Let's find out what Harold thinks. Matt, I'll have you read this one from Harold. He titled it. Harold is quite often a contrarian. We shall see. <laughs> yes, he, he, he quite often is. He titled his Deadwood Endgame feedback because he sent this back in. When Endgame came out? June 5th, yeah, a, year, a month ago. <laughs> My initial takeaway from watching the movie was that this was a pitch-perfect send-off. There was not a single wrong note. They recaptured the sets, costumes, dialogue, look, and of course, brought back as many actors from the original show as was feasible. While some of it may have seemed like fan service, I can excuse that because fan service is what this whole enterprise was about. By stopping where they did, they were able to give us a mostly happy, if sometimes bittersweet, ending. Look, we all know George Hurst is not staying locked up, and we know that Trixie isn't going to avoid the law forever. You don't think so? I think. Um, I think. Yeah, I think, I think she will. I think she'll be okay. Uh, but for all we know, we can. No, wait. But, but for now. Oh, but but for now, we can enjoy one more spoonful of canned peaches. And one last chorus of Waltzing Matilda. This was essentially an alternate version of season four. Utter's murder echoed Ellsworth's, and it triggered events that probably would have happened in season four. I was happy to see so many characters come back, even if not all of it made any sense. I was most surprised by, to see the General, Aunt Lou, and Merrick. That was a great moment between Bullock and the General at the end, and it is even more emotional when you reflect on the fact that it was the General who was at least partially responsible for the death of Bullock's adopted son. Oh, yeah. Well, the horse got away. Let's blame the horse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, I don't think. Yeah. There was, it's a freak accident. Yeah. There were so many of these strange connections between characters, most of which was left unmentioned, but hanging over the scenes like ghosts. I'm glad that they didn't shun Jeffrey Jones. Time has passed. He deserved a cameo. Mm. <laughs> I'll be very. <laughs> I don't Who's Jeffrey Jones? He's the pedophile. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, right, right. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
the theme of the movie was about the passage of time as much as anything else. It turns on a dispute over property rights to place telephone poles. Telephones were just being invented during season one. Ten years later, they were becoming essential to business interests. Side note, why didn't Utter just lease rights to place the poles on his property? I think it's because of, of what Seth told him. <laughs> um, then he could have kept the land while earning income. If one thing is consistent in Deadwood, it is that the absence of a good lawyer continually causes unnecessary problems. Okay, well, two things. Number one, I didn't read this when I came up with the idea of leasing the land. So it's good that <laughs> Harold and I are seeing eye to eye on this. Uh, second thing, lawyers cause uh, plenty of unnecessary problems. <laughs> they prevent unnecessary problems, and they cause unnecessary problems. Was there any was there any lawyer characters in this series? I don't remember. Uh, yeah, when uh, Jack McCall was on trial, oh, right. there was some there was some lawyers involved. I think there were like a dozen people like auditioning to be lawyer. Like they had uh, formed a queue yeah. for the job. Um, all right, please continue. <laughs> <laughs> I see Al's diminished capacity as a stand-in for David Milch's medical condition, but even if that is not the case, people like Al may have been needed when a place like Deadwood was a mining camp, but his sword is not wanted, at least not in any prominent position in a new fledgling state. I give this 10 out of 10 wanton le- leakages. <laughs> I hope this is respect- respectful to uh, Jewishness. <laughs> Very respectful. Yeah, I hope it is too. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know. None of us are Jewish. None of us is Jewish. <laughs> Sorry, I corrected your grammar. I'm an asshole. Okay. Um, <laughs> you liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this thing about um, Trixie, whether Trixie would be, um, the law would catch up with her. I mean, I know that the legal profession and, and how they judge people guilty or not guilty is a lot different from now, but at the same time, there you've got a town that does not want Trixie to be prosecuted. Captured, prosecuted, yeah. and you've only got the only person who saw her was Hurst. Yeah. Saw her actually shoot him was Hurst ten years ago, and even and even then, only kind of <laughs> right. And then he he. So little witness was such a good witness that he mistook her for someone else at the time, as opposed to 10 years later. I think a really good case could be made for he doesn't know what he's talking about, especially yeah. if somebody were to step forward and give her an alibi. Right. Which I'm sure it's, many people would do. Yeah. You know, I was with her at the time. It's not her. You know, he's got the wrong uh, hooker. And that's and that's when Hearst is like, bring up the security camera footage. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> hmm. If he can't get her out of town so that he can do a kangaroo court somewhere, um, I don't think it's going to happen. They'd line up all the prostitutes, and one by one they would lift their skirts, and they would see <laughs> if you correctly identified the right perpetrator. <laughs> I think Shixi will be fine. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe if he leaves Deadwood, if you really wanted to, to get her, he could. But if she's within Deadwood, she's probably probably okay. Okay, I got feedback from Steve. It is uh, audio feedback. Excellent. I promise this review will neither be short nor sweet. <laughs> unlike the Game of Thrones finale, which has elements unlike any seen anywhere else in the series, 
Deadwood, the movie, is very much of the universe as established, and therein lies the main criticism. It's a bit pedestrian. What? The movie plays like an episode of Deadwood's greatest hits, going so far as to literally show flashbacks and more figuratively recreating many major beats previously seen. A wedding, a funeral, Hearst ordering the murder of a beloved character, Bullock leading Hearst by the ear, Johnny falling for a whore, and Al calling Trixie a loopy cunt. <laughs> now, not to say all these callbacks were a bad thing, case in point, I would have been terribly disappointed if we didn't get some canned peaches. Mm -hmm. That said, I wanted bigger and better character arcs. Alma and Sophia, and more or less exactly where we left them at the end of the series. Same with Joni and Jane, Dan and Johnny, Hurst, Bullock. To which Hurst was correct. Bullock, whether directly or indirectly, racked up a huge body count in this movie, and yet went home at the end of the day and gave his wife a big kiss, consequence-free. Like it was just another day in Deadwood. And maybe that's the point. Personified here by the birth of Joshua, even as Al passes, life in Deadwood will continue. I get that criticism. <laughs> Definitely what a person can see as callbacks could just be repeating points that... I don't know. After Twin Peaks, this is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, I get yeah. Agreed. Twin Peaks went the complete opposite direction and didn't give me anything resembling the original show. So I was very glad to have this. True. We are all living in the shadow of Twin Peaks The Return. Yeah. You know, I I am one of those people who generally does not like um, something where it's always calling back and calling back and calling back. I like a, just a certain amount of it, but not... Like, okay, we're going to live in the past and we're just going to keep going back to everything else. And I thought this hit a nice balance because we hadn't seen it for 10 years. So, you know, there, I mean, we've seen it, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> we have seen it. But it's still, it, it had some, some nice flashbacks while at the same time it I felt like it did move things forward and that people had um, maybe there hadn't been a huge amount of, of change in their situation. Um, you know, Bullock had kids and, and so forth, but uh, it was a little more talkative at the beginning, but I still think it, it hit a nice, a nice uh, balance myself. Why, why is Bullock? I'm trying to remember why Bullock would be responsible f for everybody dying. Well, he burnt the telephone poles, and then yeah. he rescued the general from the Irishman and the Swayze, yeah. as I call them. <laughs> the Irishman and the Swayze. Yeah. Um, That's true. And uh, dragged the Irishman in front of Hearst and said, point out the guy who ordered the hit on Charlie Utter. And the Irishman said, it was him, but oh, point to him. And then the guy in the balcony shot the Irishman. And then somebody shot yeah, Johnny, and true. then somebody shot yeah. that guy, and there was another guy, uh -huh. and I don't know, a bunch of people just died. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But, I, I mean... But we didn't know who they were. They didn't have names. <laughs> they weren't characters. Yeah, who cares? Also, a lot of them were assassins, and, you know, people who were going around killing people. Which, I get it that they're people too, but if you've got an assassin, and the assassin is killed by their own people... Um, because you're trying to 
see who it was that hired the assassin. You know, it's, I don't think Bullock has real, a lot of reason to feel real guilty about any of that. And it's not really in his character to feel guilty about it. Well, it's two hours with 30 minutes cut out of it that could have been included. So it does just steamroll right to the end. We don't get a lot of unpacking of, God, what a shitty day. Like Five people died. No, it's just, we've got time for a hug and a kiss. The end. Yeah, yeah. It's just a limitation yeah. of the of the running time. And we've got a lot of characters to service. Yeah, which is why very few of them make any kind of growth, have any kind of growth. It's just... But I understand wanting something more and feeling like the funeral and the wedding were... that we were just hitting the familiar beats. I mean, they've only got one shot at this. You want to leave with a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah, and admittedly, you know, when um, whoever it was that was talking about fan service, I was thinking about that earlier today. And, you know, some of the things that we said, okay, um, at the very beginning when we were doing the uh, commentary, and we said, what do we hope to see? And one of the things I had said was, I want to see somebody get back at Hearst. I want the town to have some kind of, you know, feeling that they got back at Hearst and it's like, okay, there it was. And I can't be sorry that there was, you know, that that was there. Cause, uh, even though I feel like it would be unrealistic, it still felt really good. <laughs> yeah. And there's a certain amount of, you know, okay, it felt good. So let's go for it. Well, I said in our last recording that I would have liked some were Sophia, because she was uh-huh. she was somebody who had no personality or interests or anything about her. Um, so yeah, they could have serviced a few of the characters better. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like Martha is another one that, and I said this before that just a scene with Martha and Sophia, you could have it was a twofer. You could have done two characters in one if they had a really good scene together, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. So that was unfortunate. Yeah. Steve has he's done some some looking up of stuff. Ooh. He's trying to take my job. Oh, that's okay. Two people can do research. He says, Hoopleheads, on the subject of walruses. In Deadwood, Cullen, the movie, Calamity Jane describes Tom Nuttall akin to a walrus. I questioned, would Jane, in addition to Tom and the patrons of the Number 10 Saloon, know what a walrus looks like? After all, it's not like Nat Geo was a thing back then. Or was it? Question mark. Here comes the research. Deadwood, colon, the movie, takes place in 1889. National Geographic published its first issue in 1888, Mm. nine months after the National Geographic Society was founded. In addition, the Boone and Crockett Club, North America's oldest wildlife and habitat conservation organization, was founded in the United States in 1887 by Theodore Roosevelt. Among other things, the club maintains world records for largest walrus tusks. And during the 19th century and into the early 20th century, walruses were wildly hunted and killed for their blubber, walrus ivory, and meat. Mm. So within the cultural zeitgeist at the time, there is certainly an interest in the wilderness, and Jane, as a frontierswoman, would be the target audience. The smoking gun to this mystery, however, is perhaps the best-known appearance of the walrus at the time, found in Lewis Carroll's whimsical poem, The Walrus and the Carpenter, that appeared in his 1871 book, Through the Looking Glass, and what Alice found there. Critically successful, the book includes illustrations by political cartoonist Sir John 
Centennial. Possible I'm mispronouncing that name. So even with no formal education, it is conceivable Jane and company would have seen these popular illustrations. And he has provided those illustrations, which I will put in the Skype for my co-hosts, and I will include them in my show notes. These illustrations that uh, we're looking at on Skype, um, yeah, I've seen these illustrations. They're pretty famous. Yeah, I think there was lots of reading material back then. People would have been familiar with lots of stuff. Yeah. There's little little cartoons and sketches, yeah. And just because Jane knows what a walrus looked like and said so doesn't mean that everybody else in the saloon was like, oh, yeah, he does. They could have been like, <laughs> they could have what? Just been, <laughs> what was that? They would have been playing along so they don't seem stupid. Exactly. So I have um, three responses that Google suggests that I could give Steve for this information. I could say it's very interesting, thanks, or cool. Which one should I click? <laughs> very interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. Thanks. Nope. Only very interesting. That was my... Oh, there's what? no thing? No. It, it, out of always it's Google, either or. Gmail gives you th- like three options whenever you reply to an email. Oh, it's very interesting, comma, thanks, comma, cool. I get a choice of three things so I don't actually have to type anything. Gotcha. <laughs> so, sometimes they do that to my uh, mother when she sends me emails. I'll be like, nope, <laughs> or great, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Okay, let's have Mel read this feedback from Nutty. Thank you for those fun facts, by the way, Steve, about National Geographic and walruses. I really do appreciate that uh, you went the extra mile and you did some research. From Nutty, I'm so happy that Jane didn't get killed or had her heart broken. Glad she got some good lines. Everyone in town knows Joni is her girl and Joni knows it too. Jane shooting Harry made me so happy. I think Al and Trixie's relationship is super sweet. I also like Trixie trying to talk the new whore out of whoring. <laughs> I was expecting the new girl to be someone like Al's daughter, but then she was very undaughterly. Yes, she really was. <laughs> yeah. Seth basically just had bitterness the whole movie, and that's fine. That's it. You know, same old Seth. Yeah. Charlie didn't deserve to go like that, but Samuel Fields really didn't deserve that story. I love Jewel and Al, especially at the end. I think the flashbacks were mostly unnecessary, though seeing Ellsworth, that was a little sad. Mostly thought the flashbacks were cheap, in my opinion. There wasn't much high stakes. It kind of felt like a variation of our role-playing game, except they killed someone people actually care about. 8 out of 10 for fans. I thought maybe of having Tech Watch with me. Glad I didn't. He wouldn't have cared having not seen the series. Nutty. Hmm. Yeah, definitely don't watch this if you haven't seen the show. Yeah. I don't know why anybody would, but again, apparently they thought that might happen, so that's why the flashbacks. Yeah. Or, I mean, I thought it would also work for people who hadn't watched the series lately, you know. Oh, true. Like a reminder of what happened if you didn't watch the yeah the finale, if it, or if it had been many years. If it had been 13 years and you haven't gone back to watch it, you would need a little bit of a refresher. Yeah. 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 I didn't mind the flashbacks. I, I kind of liked them. I thought they were a little sweet and handled well. Yeah, I yeah, thought we have they some were friends. Good. We have some friends who didn't watch the series since it aired, I think. So, yeah, they, if they watch the movie, which they might, they're going to appreciate the flashbacks, I think. Um, she said something right at the beginning. What did she say? Oh, yeah. That's one thing. Jane, Jane was never in danger of getting killed. Not unless they he rewrote history. So that was... One thing that, you know, I guess 
when she said that she was glad Jane didn't get killed. That was yeah. something that, yeah, if if you knew anything about Calamity Jane, then it wasn't, a, you know, it wouldn't have been a spoiler to know. Instead of plot armor, she has history armor. Yeah, exactly. Reality yeah. armor. <laughs> yeah, I went back actually later on to see when when she did the Wild West show and stuff, because I thought I remembered her actually having traveled before the series started, but I guess I, I had that wrong. And uh, it was after this that she that she went with the Wild West show and stuff. I mean, well, she was with Wild Bill before that, so she did some traveling before that. But I think she went again. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to remember now, and I'm I'm getting it all befuddled. She died in the Callaway Hotel in the small mining town of Terry, South Dakota, from complications due to alcohol poisoning. What year? It's weird that I don't have that sourced. Hmm. Do you have what 20, year? 2013. <laughs> no, I have the year that Charlie Utter died. 1910. He died in Panama. Oh. oh okay, so he wasn't protected by history, even though he... he uh, He's less famous, though. Figure. Yeah. He's less famous, yeah. He traveled to Panama and became a doctor and a druggist. What? And he practiced medicine among the local Indians and even delivered babies. His friend Upton Lorenz said that he last saw Charlie blind and grizzled sitting in a rocking chair in front of his pharmacy in 1910. Whoa. Um, yeah, he's less famous. He's also way different on the show than he was in real life. Mm-hmm. Except yeah. for being a friend of Wild Bill and being part of his wagon train. Way different character. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, you can get the biographies of all the, the characters, and I'm talking about historical biographies, uh, by going to hooplecast.com, clicking on Deadwood. Go down to the episode we recorded called Goodbye and Fuck You. That was our series wrap-up. And click on Resources. It takes you to my Google Doc. I got the bios in there. Nice. You're getting that uh, kickstarted Deadwood book, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, that should be fun. 30 bucks, you get the book and a soap with the prize inside. <laughs> oh, sweet! <laughs> Let us know what the prize is. It's it's a something that says, sorry, try again, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Better look next time. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Nutty, by the way. Yes, thank, thank you, Nutty. Okay. More feedback. This is from Barb. Carol, would you read this for us? First, it was great to listen to the four of you talking over an episode of Deadwood again. I felt like a return home for a conversation with a group of old friends. Aw. Yeah. I went into the movie hopefully and was not disappointed. It was so beautifully filmed and full of images of natural beauty and gorgeous artistry. Janie Bryant's costumes were stunning, and I liked the way everybody's updated looks short-handed their, I'm sorry, short-handed their intervening years. Alma and Sophia immediately stand out as wealthy and fashion-forward on the station platform, but overall relative prosperity and a n- new availability of nice things are apparent among the locals and their properties. There's a scene right after Trixie calls out Hearst. She's backlit from the window to the thoroughfare in white lace and ruffles, hand on belly, eyes heavenward, praying for the safety of her baby. She's a Renaissance Madonna beneath a pressed tin ceiling that I had given 10 years of my life for. E.B. looks more kempt than he did, but he's become Richardson to her old E.B. 
<laughs> That's an interesting one. <laughs> Al encouraged Saul to go into politics because Trixie being the wife of a man of prominence will make her safer from Hearst. You do not want to know how long it took for me to work that out. <laughs> Trixie thinks Al during the, thanks Al during the wedding procession for being upright, for letting me have my hand on your arm and for being the sh- showing up sort that you are. Al's reply was hard to catch and badly captioned, but it was a Britishism, I think. He said, what sauce is gravy? Another version of what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Mm. He finally thanks her for years of loyalty. This made me cry. I'm sorry that Alma apparently hasn't found anyone at all to interest her since Seth. Yeah. Oh, we don't know that. (laughs) Well, well, (laughs) she's obviously still kind of, anyway. Finally, maybe she left. Maybe she left him at home so she could get some of that Seth action. <laughs> Finally, the Bullock's family front yard still consists of a walkway through what appear to be heaps of boulders, which is nuts. How did those three kids survive playing around out there with daily <laughs> knee scrapes? How did they not um, perish of sepsis a thousand times over? And what about snakes? <laughs> snakes love rock piles. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody in the scenery department made it that decision and stayed with it. And as unimportant as it is, I wonder about it. Thanks again for putting forth the effort. I hope that you continue with another project, Barb. Oh, thank you, Barb. Thank you. I don't think it's just a British expression, but what what everything else is gravy? Like everything else is extra? It's all gravy. Yeah. Gra- There's gravy all- meaning extra in addition. So I don't think that's just a Britishism. I think Americans say that too. They say something like it, but I think, where is it? What sauce is gravy? So I think he's saying what's, what's good is good. I, I thought he, he may have said what sauce is gravy, but I heard it as like, what else is gravy? Whatever else is gravy. Cause again, I've heard plenty of Americans say that probably said that myself once or twice. I don't know. I, I barely he should, remember he, it. He should have said it's all good in the hood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that comes trippingly off uh, the tongue of the writer of this show. Yeah. I'm I'm glad that Barb called out the costumes because the costumes and set dressing always stunning on this show. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, we already talked about that tin ceiling. She says she'd give ten years of her life for it. Yeah, it's a gorgeous ceiling, but <laughs> claustrophobic. So dark. They do sell tin ceilings at you know home stores. Yeah, they do. Really? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh-huh. I, I mean, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Popcorn ceilings were a thing for a while. Did, does everyone else know what those were? Yep. What ceilings? It's called popcorn ceilings. Oh, yeah, those, like, those gross, like, textured ceilings. Yes. A textured stucco. Yeah, I don't like it. They had to be sprayed on, didn't they? they mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure, but it's like, apparently it's a bitch to get rid of. Yeah. Yeah. I think my... Parents have that in their house, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Or my parents did, and then they got rid of it because they were like, "This is outdated." <laughs> Just the keep school- something long enough, and it comes back in style. Ha! The schools I've been teaching in um, that were built in the 1890s and 1900, you know, 1900s, 1900s. Um, That's got to be covered in asbestos. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, the ceilings are painted over tin ceilings in many cases. Um, yeah. yeah, they're like gorgeous tin ceilings that have, I don't know how many layers of, 
of, you know, like cream colored paint on top of them. Um, or in some cases they put these drop ceilings and, and then when you, we went up into the attic last year to pack up the old school and you could see the tops of the tin ceilings and stuff. Cause it was like, there was just like no insulation or anything. I don't know what the schools are going to look like when we get back, whether they're going to have gotten rid of everything cool or not, but we'll see. Yeah. Tin ceilings. Hmm. I agree about the costumes. I, I thought they really did do a nice job of differentiating uh, now from then in the costuming in a lot of different ways. If you want to watch a show with outstanding costumes, watch Outlander, especially season two when they go to France. It's like yeah. the colors are just like insane. Like her dresses are so cool. Yeah, I have been watching it. I saw the whatever is on Netflix, I, which I think is only the first two seasons. Yeah, you're right. The costuming was was great on that show. It um it didn't occur to me until Barb pointed it out that Al's encouragement of Saul to go into politics would protect his wife. Yeah, it, it, that was yeah. like oh yeah that that makes total sense. How would it protect her? Well, it would protect her in the sense that he has more influence, probably over law enforcement and other th- things like that. I guess. I see. I thought that was just like he was kind of being nice <laughs> to Saul, and since he was historically he was mayor, it was kind of a, a history in joke. Yeah. yeah. I figured that was the main reason for it, but also um, just, you know, that it was part of taking care of Trixie. But she has a very good point that it would it would help protect her from Hearst just being more prominent, being a more prominent uh, person. If he wants to be mayor, he's going to have to defeat Farnham in Mortal Kombat first. Mortal Kombat! <laughs> <laughs> I don't- I don't think anybody would mind seeing that. <laughs> We've got more feedback. This is from Hasso. Matt, you can read this one. Okay. Hey, guys. So good to sit down while drive and listen to you all again, just like old times. And that that's the atmosphere I thought the movie created. That is, once I got over the harsh toll Deadwood took on the aging, aging of many of the characters. It's kind of like your favorite wrestler coming back from retirement many a year later to the love of the old school fans. And it's just great to simply see them. And in doing so, we certainly allow for some slack in their performance. (laughs) That said, the Deadwood performances were still spot on. Language, tone, and the way they interacted with each other was like they never skipped a beat. I think they got better, actually. I thought the story was nice and straightforward and established itself quickly, which is great in a feature-length movie. Very similar theme, though, to Hearst's taking of Ellsworth's land, but I didn't mind that. Trixie still owns the show, hardly aged too. And thanks to her, I feel the need to add the word squaws. Squoze? Squoes. To my squoes. To my vocabulary. The milk she squoes. Yeah. Without going on much further, I enjoyed all the performances. A few highlights. Seth, I agree with Carol. It's not even a question on whether can he act. <laughs> Al, great final chapter for his character, singing the Bush ballad known as the unofficial Australian na- national anthem, by the way. And Charlie Utter, all class as usual. EB always loves his language and enjoy, always love his language and enjoy his rumblings with the telephone. The movie was still kind of open ended. Shirley Hurst. Hurst will want to take revenge on Bullock, even if he can't take the land. 
still I'm more than happy to see to be able to see my favorite show have one last hurrah. Again, it was great listening to you guys. Well done, too, for essentially predicting Hearst's walk of shame. And just to quickly call out, as I posted ages ago, that in my opinion, Deadwood was a much better quality drama than Game of Thrones. Well, with GOT finished, I reckon the writing's clearly on the wall. Cheers, Hasso. Thank you. Thank you. I agree with most of what you said. Well, the question about whether Timothy Oliphant could act was a season one question. (laughs) Good actor or bad actor. That was a season one question. Movie, even even he admits that he was not good, that it was basically a rehearsal for the movie. Right. He, he, Timothy Oliphant himself, admitted he was a bad actor in season one. Yeah. Yeah. Most actors will look back on their previous performances and say that they were not, they did not do a good job. As well they should, because they've developed over the years. You know, I still think that he did, you know... <laughs> we know. <laughs> no, I think he did fine. It, it's the character. It's, you know, the the guy is uh, repressed, rage-filled. It's probably person. hard to play a character like that. He's too. usually not too deep. He can't express his emotions, you know? Yeah, that's hard to res- be restrained as an actor, probably, so... Yeah, I mean, you know... He's very restrained, and that's fine. But when he comes out and he's like super angry, <laughs> oh, that's so great! Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we love he's angry. Ang- so. Yeah, he's, he's got he's got angry. He's got hmm? angry. Seth is believable because of restrained Seth. Mm. Yeah, and and I've said before that for me it was always the line delivery and that the words kind of tumbled out of his mouth yeah. less convincingly than they did with the other characters. That was always he's my got, issue. Yeah, yeah. He's got three modes. He's got restrained. He's got angry, and he's got pining for Alba. <laughs> yeah. I thought of Hasso during that last scene and hearing Waltzing Matilda because Hasso being Australian, I actually thought of thought of you, Hasso, because you were one of our contributors back when we were still covering the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I always think of the Australians when that that comes up. Um, all our Australian friends. As far as I know, he's the only Australian that listens to this podcast. Yeah, well, it was an interesting one to pick. Part of me was wondering why that one particularly. Um, I thought it would have made a little more sense if uh, if it had been something that was more connected to Al's um, youth or something. Yeah. I don't know. I was wondering about it when it was on. I was like, huh, it's an interesting choice. He also says... Oh, I forgot to mention, I would have loved to have seen some more Dan. Any excuse for him to flex his muscles? For example, <laughs> some young cowboy overstepping the mark and getting a quick lesson from Dan, who still has it. I agree. Yes. Pop his eye out. <laughs> I don't think we need to repeat that. <laughs> Follow W. Earl Brown on Twitter, if you don't, because he is very fun. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I'm going to go to Facebook to get our last feedback. This is from. Do I get to read the last you one? You do. This is from Joe. Oh my God! I win! I win! You always win. Yes, I always do. In our hearts, you always win, Mel. <laughs> mm. All right. Jeez. <laughs> oh, Fuck off, Matt. <laughs> really? Really? In our hearts. All right. Oh, good grief. She's, she's all right. Okay. <laughs> Shut up. 
Hey, Hooples, I fear this is going to get to you too late, which is par for the course in my relationship with your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, I discovered Hooplecast long after you had finished with Deadwood, much to my continuing disappointment. I am not a Deadwood newbie, nor am I a typical veteran. I am a freaking Deadwood savant. (laughs) Whoa, that's a mighty claim. It is. Yeah, someone's a little full of himself. Yeah. I want to hear the explanation of that. Okay, no, wait. Here it is. I long ago lost... Listen, I long ago lost count of the number of times I've watched this series, but if I had to guess, I would put the number at 60 to 70 over the last 13 years. Holy Holy shit. Well, you should have done this podcast then. (laughs) Yes. What? Fuck you! Don't agree with me! (laughs) Go back in time and join us. If you're such a savant, invent a time machine... Go back in time and join us. <laughs> Bam. Okay. <laughs> there was even a space of time where I could recite the dialogue right along with the show as it played when I was at the height of my insanity. <laughs> 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 I have even listened to your Deadwood episodes over three or four times and nearly aced Matt's trivia contest. Yes, I know. <laughs> I am a little nuts. <laughs> nearly aced. Nearly yeah, I'd aced. I'm curious what questions you didn't get but i would assume it's probably something that was not from deadwood so much as like something we just referenced on the podcast yeah okay here comes the five star review anyway before i comment on the movie i just want to tell you guys how much i enjoy you Hooplecast oh. is my absolute favorite one podcast of, of all time oh. or wait one of sorry one of my favorite absolute favorite podcast of all time okay. not i'm just sorry i'm just so excited i'm skipping words not only because of the subject matter <laughs> But because of the four of you and the rotating cast of regular guests and feedbackers, Matt A, you do an amazing job creating the finished episode, the amount of work you put into it, and your attention to detail and production values. I could never say enough about it. Mel, you are so adorable and funny. I know, thank you. Debatable. (laughs) Matt Matt A would not agree with you, but I... Thank you. Um, Matt H, always good for a smart remark, and you never fail to amuse. And Carol, oh, Carol... You are the prim and proper teacher that I've always wanted to lure into the coat closet from some private sessions. <laughs> Lessons after class. Perhaps I overstepped with that one, but smart is really the sexiest thing of all. <laughs> or is it Will Johnson that's the sexiest thing of all? Yeah. Yeah, Will's pretty sexy too. Talk amongst yourselves. I live in hope. That I hope Will listens to this. <laughs> we can- we can have a. We should have a poll at the end. Who's, who's the sexiest? Who's sexier? <laughs> Aww. Who's the Who's the sexiest hoople cast adjacent person? Yes. Um, I live in hope that someday you will do a complete series rewatch because, as any real Deadwood aficionado will tell you, the true joy and revelation is in the rewatches. And Matt H asking during the movie commentary episode regarding Elsewhere Engine and Soul Star. Have we ever seen these two in a scene together before? Well, it makes my point. <laughs> Have you already forgotten the scenes of negotiating to buy the lot for the hardware store? Yes. Or the scene where <laughs> Al wants his $5 for an aspect? Or the whole schooling of Alan Adams on Montana politics? Uh-huh. It's rewatch time. <laughs> and if you ever do, I will gladly participate and contribute what I can. So, the movie. Wait, 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 True wait, wait. Wait, was okay, was what? the issue whether Saul and Al had ever had a scene privately just between the two of them at some point? Yeah, yeah. it didn't seem. I think it, so. it felt it felt it new. Felt new. <laughs> mm. I remember him Saul coming at Al over Trixie at some point for something. Yeah, that probably happened. <clears throat> so 
the movie. <laughs> True to form. I have watched it several times already. Mm-hmm. Still insane, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's my comment, not, not his. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the first time through it was really all about getting past how old everybody looked. After that, it was all about taking enjoyment and comfort in seeing this cast reunited and immersed with, within that wonderful David Milch language and dialogue. I simply loved it. I thought it made it really made me want more and renewed my anger and disappointment that the series was cut short all those years ago. The story wasn't very deep and really nothing was resolved, but oh my God, what a gift <laughs> to have Deadwood back at all is a miracle. Yes. I think they did. That's what it, that is yes. what it felt like. Yeah. It felt like a gift. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a little present in like, it's like a, uh, present mid year Christmas present. Yeah. Um, so a present. I think they did it. Yeah. Oh, oh whatever. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, whatever, Matt. Ah. Um, <laughs> I think they did an awesome job within the confines of where they could go with the story. And what else could they do, really, after all that time had passed? Overall, it satisfied the itch I've been scratching for 13 years. We got everything we loved. Angry Seth, cantankerous Doc, drunken Jane, strong Alma, even Garrett Dillahunt in a cameo. Yeah. If I had to point to some things that I didn't like, it would be Al dying at the end. George Hurst still being able to walk after his beating in the street. And most of all, bad, badass Dan Doherty somehow becoming the new Con Stapleton of the show. <laughs> but all said and done, a superb effort by everyone involved. I give it 9.5 out of 10. Bailiwicks proffered any fucking way. Thanks, guys. Joe Gallia out on Long Island. Thanks, mm-hmm. Joe. Thank you. That was a wonderful... Uh, did you leave us a five-star review, Joe? Mm-hmm. I'm just, sh- sh- sure he did. Just asking. Just ask it. I'm sure he did. <laughs> I just checked, and there is a five-star review that says A++. Oh, very There's nice. Also, is it from him? Um, No, some person named Webby something. I just closed iTunes. Opening iTunes is such a pain, because nope. whenever I open it, it says, do you want to update iTunes? Every time. Yeah, it's pretty annoying. <laughs> and I very rarely open iTunes for any purpose. Um, there was that wonderful review of just our movie commentary that said, don't smoke and podcast. One star. <laughs> Whoa. We didn't. <laughs> Maybe they were talking about implying that we were smoking something other than tobacco? Yes. Ah. It's really fun, so let me let me find it here. We were all high as fuck. Except not. <laughs> we were. We were yeah. yeah, except not really. I mean, there have been... I may have been drunk, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, a couple of people have been drunk on the podcast occasionally, but I don't think anybody has been high necessarily. No. Not intentionally. <laughs> True. Show starts with a sound check gone awry. Giggles and yeah, really, man talk follows. Then if you stick around five minutes, it turns into an awful take of Mystery Theater 2000. Just awful. One star. <laughs> That's funny. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Joe, if you want to take all those nice things you said and just like copy paste it right into iTunes, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> I would. Mystery Aww. Theater yeah. Mystery Science Theater. That's just like, that's yeah, just no, like, I know the show. Oh. I'm just trying to figure out how that how that how relates that... to what we were doing. It doesn't. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't because Mystery Science is about like kind of making fun of like really bad movies and stuff. Mm. Yeah, no, it doesn't. I guess it doesn't make any sense. But people on the internet have very strong opinions about things they don't understand. Mm-hmm. I, see, I I actually try and come up with how that could be 
somehow makes sense or something. And thank you for letting me know that it just doesn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah let, let's just not dwell on it, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't I'm make sense. I mean, that's the thing. I, I get uh, this automated email of like, these are the reviews left for your podcast. And it just comes to my email like every month or every other month. And it's always dispiriting to read reviews and like one star. And you're like, God, I put so much time and effort into it. We all do. We've all put so much effort into it. And well, a lot of their criticisms tend to be like, they don't seem to know enough. Like, it's an intro cast. Yeah. It's right in the title of the podcast and also the description and the premise of the podcast. It's built around people watching a show for the first time. And sure, um, it's not for everybody. Like, I don't expect everybody like to like this, but I mean, whatever. Like, Matt, you're doing this more because you like the show and you wanted to watch it with people that had never seen it before. And there yeah, you go. Absolutely. Like, that's the enjoyment itself, it's right? So... It's living vicariously through people who have, who have never seen the show. I mean, it's, I've done, I've listened to many podcasts of shows that I love that are intro casts. And, you know, that's the joy of them. You know, you don't have to pin down your friends. Like when I've introduced my friends to shows I loved, you don't want to be constantly saying, okay, I know you watched another show. Could you please talk to me about it? Every little detail for the next hour. You know, I mean, it's like, no, I can't really. I've got a life to live. Okay, yeah. you know, you can do that through a podcast. They're going to talk about every little thing. Unfortunately, unless you're a guest, you don't have an opportunity to say, but I want to know about this. But, you know, mm. since we take forever on all of this stuff, we should hit all of those little <laughs> I want to know about. <laughs> well, I think we do, but um, people probably start at the beginning, and we were a little rough at the beginning. I was. It was my first podcast, so... First podcast hosting, so I know I was rough and probably didn't edit them correctly and whatever, but I think we've improved since then. <laughs> we certainly, <laughs> certainly know the show now. Like, we didn't, like, the three of you, you didn't know the characters at the start. You do now. Like, you can't help it. That's the, that's the premise of the podcast. I'm sorry. I can't change it. Know what I want to change it for you, random person on the internet. Right. But maybe keep your opinions to yourself. Right. It's a free thing. Uh, moving yeah. on so we don't rant at people we don't really care about anyway no but it's what i'm saying is i appreciate when somebody like joe comes along and says i not only have i listened to your podcast i've listened to episodes several times and i could tell you put work into it it's like thank yeah. you i feel seen <laughs> i appreciate that yeah yeah, well, yeah Matt, it's nice you know uh, i'm glad he said that and when he said that i was like yeah because i feel like i haven't said it lately um the fact of just how much work you have put in from day one and, uh, I mean, I know it's a, it's all about the love you have for the show, but even so you, you have put in so much, um, so much unusual work, uh, with, you know, finding the, the newspaper articles and everything else. Um, you know, you really should get extra credit in every way for all that work that you do put in. Thank you. Well, thank you, Carol. Yes, <laughs> I agree. Joe's comments mean a lot to me, especially considering that he's seen the show so many times. Yeah. I'll be the one dissenter, one star. <laughs> <laughs> she hates Melanie the most. Yeah, she's the worst. I don't... So annoying. An annoying laugh. God. <laughs> okay, moving on. All right, moving on. <laughs> oh, yeah, and just to agree again with Joe, it does feel like a miracle that this movie happened. Yeah. So it's hard to have too much criticism. Now, that is a very good point. Again, the... You know, as much as 
we could criticize and all it's it's still it's it's a gift and it's it's a wonderful thing and it didn't make us feel like it didn't make us feel horrible like some things that try and come back do so hey that's fantastic should be a fairly low bar <laughs> do we have quotes i've got plenty of quotes i'm gonna let the three of you go first okay go ahead carol um just looking for the beginning of my my notes here all of, almost all of mine are bullet quotes interestingly enough Let's see where's the first one engine you ever think bullock of not going straight at a thing no <laughs> that's such a good line yeah and just lovely delivery on the no i like um i hope you die in the street like my dad did <laughs> 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 Another one of very similar kind of quote where, uh, have you finished your impotent display? No, I don't believe I have. (laughs) I like uh, Farnham's quote. I am not made for such complexity. (laughs) (laughs) It's a sad night. Something's a fire. Christ, I do have feelings. (laughs) Okay, there's one that's Trixie. Our Father, who art in heaven, and Al, let him fucking stay there. Was there a risk that he would not? Like, that he would come down? <laughs> I, I actually yeah. found that line a little weird. I wasn't sure I, what to make of that. Yeah. Is it, anytime anybody says that prayer, are they trying to get God to come down and manifest himself? <laughs> no, I just think he was... Our Father, who art in heaven, please show yourself. I'll be right there. <laughs> Is that what... The, yeah, I don't know. I have a feeling he... He's basically indicating he doesn't expect to see him anytime soon. Yeah. All right, I will do my best with this exchange between Charlie and Jane. Jane wants some uh, some advice for wooing Joni back. And Charlie says, I'd maybe say you've been thinking of her, hoping if ever she thought of you, her thinking would be friendly too. <laughs> Write me that down to repeat it, you cocksucker. <laughs> <laughs> Any soul on these grounds bearing mortal likeness to a walrus, raise up your right hand or or whistle. Or whistle. <laughs> I like this Al Al quote, just basically like talking on the balcony. Hearst won't take long before he honors the rigors of his putrid fucking nature. (laughs) I think that one might have been in the trailer. I don't know. Yeah. A lot of the good lines are in the trailer. It was a good trailer. Trailers, you have to be careful with those. I mean, it always is so annoying if they take all the best stuff from the thing you're going to watch. Here's an exchange between Hearst and E.B., Every business, Mr. Farnham, in this territory thrives as a direct result of communication. Now, we've no say as to the pace of modernity's advance. I, myself, am merely its vessel, a humble foot soldier. It's inevitability, its deepest truth. What is wrong with you, goddammit, to be shifting your feet so incessantly? (laughs) Uh, the procession of years, wanton leakage. You are a vile creature. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shut up, Hurst, like you never had to pee. <laughs> it's not that he has to pee, it's that he's leaking. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> okay, here, this is between Trixie and Al. I don't deserve one fucking minute of happiness my newborn gave me coming into this world. We chose you, you loopy cunt. Look at the fucking mess you give us. I'm unfucking worthy, Al. I belonged in that coffin, not her. Hmm. And then I, oh, I like this. New baby in camp, lovely little boy. As born of his mother, he would be. That was Al 
saying of Trixie. Oh. That's so nice. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a fun one of uh, Trixie and Saul. Trixie says to Saul, We ought to marry on the morrow, Saul. Al ain't to be relied on to linger. And we ain't exchanging secret fucking vows tucked away in hiding. Free all day. <laughs> and and I don't know if I said this uh, last episode, but when Paula Malcolmson like smiles, like kind of like chokes back like this scream of joy. She is, yeah. she's beautiful. She's radiant. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the. I didn't write it down, but I do like the quote when she's like talking about how she squoze some milk in some bottles. <laughs> 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 A horror of her vintage. <laughs> Oh, all her quotes are pretty darn good. Even yeah. like her rant on the balcony. Yeah. Uh, I didn't write that down either, but I think it's online somewhere. Uh, Do you have it up? Maybe. Uh, it's long. It's that long, was, yeah. That's why, I did, that's why I didn't write it, but it's good. Yeah, I mean... Oh, oh Senator Hurst! Your honor! you. <laughs> I just like that. On this 10th anniversary of them being butchered, I convey to you memorial greetings from the minor Ellsworth and the prostitute Jen. But the two of them, who knows how many you've done for a while making your money progress. Have I missed word of your appointment to some position of authority? Have I missed word of yours, you bald-pated cunt <laughs> debating whether or not to say the word cunt <laughs> me no i just the phone turned off. oh i see <laughs> <laughs> so i couldn't read it uh oh no i i'll say cunt anytime cunt that's the deadwood cunt. influence it's come upon you cunt al says i'd not prolong the chewing up doc nor the being spat out not go out of cunt see just add it <laughs> Just, just trips off the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> There's a moment when Al says, "Gentlemen, can we not appear as quadruplets?" <laughs> yeah. good. I don't know yeah. if uh, we talked about this or not, but that was a callback to an earlier line from a previous episode when he says, "Let's not appear as fucking triplets." Episode six of season two. Uh, nice. Oh, nicely done. Do I have any others? Oh, I did like it when Al says, uh, "Where you been, Bullock?" And he goes, right up the street, Al. I don't know if that's the exact <laughs> quote, because I can't find it, but I did like... I like that line because it makes me think, like, the, yeah, these characters have not been gone for 13 years. They've been right up the street this entire time. So I, I like that right. line. That reminds me of the line from Boy Meets World when that c- character Minkus from the early seasons came back at the end. And they're like, where have you been this whole time, Minkus? And he's like, over there, on that side of the school. And then they're like, Oh, we don't go over there. You go over there, you might never come back. <laughs> I was wondering where that was going. <laughs> mm, all right, let's just indulge Matt's like foray into Boy Meets World for a second, see where it takes us. <laughs> it's just like it's just one of those lines where like, hey, you know, we haven't seen these characters in a while, and they're gonna yeah. address it. But I've been here the whole time. They did that all <laughs> the time in the TGIF shows. Oh, they also did it. And I think they did it in another way with another character in Boy Meets World where yeah, the, the little sister, she like came down downstairs at the end of the series. And they're like, where have you been? I've been grounded for a really, really long time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think what female comic had this joke about her having a 
a foster brother that was left on her doorstep, her family's doorstep, but they didn't find him until he was like 13 years old because they never used that door. <laughs> I can't remember what comic that was. It's very funny. It's always stuck with me. Are you going to incarcerate me again, Marshall Bullock? This time for how many minutes? Let's find out together. <laughs> yes. Okay, and I've got one last one, a very a very sweet one, from Jane to Joni. You give me a goddamn kiss and say, I promise I won't fold, no matter how sad I get. Or just don't say a word at all, then. Just go ahead and give me a kiss and don't say a word. No. Oh. Yeah. You think Jane stuck around at the end of the movie? Yeah, I hope I so. Think they, I think they went off together. Oh, no. This is, this, is my, this is my last line. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was Bill coming to me. Him coming to protect us. No, Jane. That was you. Aww. I love it. Oh, they're so good. Okay. If there's no other quotes, who was a character no. of the no. episode? It's got to be Alma. She basically saves the day. I really liked her. Her uh it was like a true victory over Hurst. One of the only right. way, only way one of the only ways you can get a victory over him. Right. Is yeah. financially like financially if you get the better of him. He really feels that personally. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah, I thought of that too. Um, I was driving home from work Friday afternoon. Who's going to be my character of the episode? I was like, God, Alma really sticks it to Hearst. Mm-hmm. And the thing that bothered me the most about the finale was Alma's claim being taken away because Hearst didn't need it, and she did. Like it was her identity and progress as a character was like all wrapped up in this gold claim and that he took it from her was such an insult to to everyone um i really felt the sting of that so i was very happy when she was able to upstage him at the auction but then i was like yeah but really she just used her money and money that she like worked hard to earn yeah probably it was still just it was still just one scene out of the entire thing so i'd say it's like a tie between her and trixie Rixie was pretty great throughout the whole the whole movie. So sorry, uh, who said Alma? So I can put it down in the spreadsheet. <laughs> oh my God, is that you? Can Mel? I have Alma and Trixie? No, my, you have to pick answer? one. Oh, damn it! I'll pick Alma. You pick Trixie. Okay. <laughs> okay. We we'll do like we always do at restaurants where we split a meal. Let's split them in half. Yeah, and then we swap. I'll, swap. I'll take half of Trixie and you take half of Alma. And we'll yeah, swap. and we'll swap. <laughs> Which half? No, Let's never mind. Not. <laughs> what? Which half? Um, hmm. I'm having a hard time with this because it really was pretty balanced. I mean, the the main four characters, Trixie and Alma and, and Seth and Swearingen, all had major parts to play in all of this. Um, I don't know if I'd call Alma, Alma one of the main characters. I think there was only three main characters, really, yeah. just Trix, Trixie, Seth, and Al. It doesn't have to be a main character, though. Oh, I know. I know. Mel, in episode 308, Leviathan Smiles nominated the horse that kicked Steve in the head. Mm. <laughs> that was a good pick. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good I've pick. Also nom- I'm pretty sure I've nominated, like, uh... You nominated Soapy. The titty liquor, the whore that leaks piss when she giggles. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, why not? Why the hell not? She's... I nominated the Jesus Loves Me lady. I don't even remember who that is. <laughs> Somebody that performed it on Amateur Night, though. Huh. Weird. Hmm. I'm going to go with Seth. 
Yeah, good choice. Because that's that would have been one of my other choices too. Because he just like he just rocks it this episode. Mm-hmm. He's pretty much everywhere. He's uh, he's investigating. He's trying yeah. to hold things together. He's trying to protect people. Yeah, he's all over the place, and he's he's uh, standing up for people, and he's trying to keep the town together and keep it from exploding, while at the same time insisting on justice for people, and you know, not not trying to keep it from exploding by just sweeping everything under the rug and trying to act like there's no trouble. I, I'm going to go with Seth. This is cool because we'll all pick somebody different. I'm. I'm going with the person who was sober enough to save Seth Bullock's life, and that's Calamity Jane. Calamity Yay! Jane. Good show. And I also think that when she came back and gave that kind of pep talk to Joni, that maybe she saved Joni's life, too. Because Joni was in yeah. real despair. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about over, Calamity over Jane. What? I don't know if we, over what? I don't know if we found out, but... Well, does it have to be anything? We, maybe she just... Suffering from depression, hmm. like a generic, a general depression. We landed uh, somewhere on a mix of baggage from her past and kind of like how she's stuck doing a job she doesn't really like and also general malaise, depression. Yeah. Kind of a yeah. nice mix. Also, I think uh, loneliness of, I think when Jane left, um, you know, the loneliness of that added to it as well mm. from what was said and, and everything else. That was the feeling I got. Yeah. But I'm glad you picked Jane. Cause uh, I had forgotten for a minute how much, you know, there's a lot going on with Jane too. Yeah. She'd probably be another main character, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Ratings. Who wants to go first? Oh, I thought we did this last time. <laughs> hmm. Uh, I will do, I really liked it. Um, it was exactly what I wanted as a continuation slash return of a franchise. Uh, if only they could all be this good. Uh, the only other thing that's done it this this uh, well is Cobra Kai, the sequel to Karate Kid. <laughs> Seriously, if you haven't watched it, it's really good. <laughs> okay, um, it's a lot of fun. And I will give it a nine out of ten bottles of Trixie's Squoze Milk. Hey, that was my. I knew you were going to do that, but that's all I could think of. Oh, you dick. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have no other reading. Let, let Mel go last. Okay. <laughs> you just do more bottles. <laughs> Stealing a rating. I'm sorry. It's despicable. I okay, no, I have a, a rating. Okay. Don't they do this every time? <laughs> <laughs> oh, who even remembers? <laughs> it just sounds I, very familiar. I also did like it, but I'm going to one-up Matt and say that I have one extra bottle of squozed milk. <laughs> so 10 out of 10 squozed <laughs> milk bottles. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. And yeah, it's like everything you want in a, like, I don't know. I, I know, like, they said, they said, oh, it's, uh, it's fan service, da 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 but like. It wasn't that. It wasn't that, that bad. bad. Like I didn't think it was like over the. It was. It was not like winking at you all the time. Do you know what I mean? Like that's bad yeah. fan service when they wink at you. And this was well done. I thought mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So bam. Yeah, it's my rating, and I'm sticking to it. Mm-hmm. Mad stealing my fucking. I'm rating. sorry. I tried to think of something else. 
You bald pity. Hey, that's what it should have been. Bald pity cunts. Ten out of ten bald pity cunts. <laughs> there you go. Does that mean... Oh, no. Walruses. Walruses. <laughs> All right, go ahead, guys. Sorry. I'm going to lock bald uh, painted cunt down in the spreadsheet. Okay. <laughs> um, I also liked it. I, I don't think it was a ten out of ten because, I mean, there, you know, definitely there could have been, you know, some development here or there. Etc. Etc. But it it was really good. Um, I'm gonna go with nine out of ten prodigious 1800s mustaches, especially on Mr. Bullock. Is there? Hmm. Sorry, I'm gonna debate that development thing. Is, is I mean, is it really necessary to have development if you know that they're only coming back for one movie? Well, I mean, as far as you know, some of the characters that we talked about. I mean, not. I thought most of them were really well done, but there were times when, when we had characters that kind of had a walk on and if they're going to walk on, it would have been nice for them to have some little gem to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you can't give everybody everything in one movie. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, ab- absolutely. Time. like absolutely. that's what, that's what people were criticizing about the last season of game of Thrones, that they were trying to squeeze in too much in a right, short no, amount of time. Right. I understand. I'm just saying that it's yeah. like if you're going to have a lot of these faces come on, it would be nice for them to have a moment. It doesn't if have to be. Get- it doesn't have to be. I mean, they've got them on screen. They've got them saying something. It would be nice if what they were saying, you know, if it was. If they all got a moment that was on par with. Uh, Farnham's moment, which was just perfect for him. No, yeah. I don't agree with you guys. I think mm. that's too much. Yeah, I think you can't give a moment to everybody. I think you got to pick and choose whose moments you're going to give to, because then that's when it starts being really pandering and cheesy and like just what? not, you know. Why have the person on screen at all then? Because they're part of the town. They just become part of the... Yeah, but it's like, okay, so... Yeah, you know, because it would be I, weird I not to have Dan there. I always have fantastic, like, exciting things happening in my life. Mm. But sometimes no, but I do. It doesn't have to be fantastic, exciting things. But if Mel is going to be in the story, I want to hear Mel say something that Mel would say that no one else would say. And we all know that there's plenty of things that Mel says that nobody else I, says. I still, don't, <laughs> I still don't agree with you, Carol, but whatever. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. We're just going to have Mel come in and be like, hi, guys, and leave. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that doesn't sound like Mel to me. I feel like I've done that before. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we say, yeah, Mel just left. Sometimes that is me. That is a little bit Mel. That's true. <laughs> I can see what you're saying, Mel. It's almost like if everybody had like a five minute scene or even less than that, it would almost feel like boxes were being checked. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree with that. But what I'm but I know but what I'm you're not, saying too, Carol. I understand you're saying yeah, that there are yeah. unique things about every character medium. that right. could have been yeah. like when um yeah. what's her name the um oh what oh shoot Aunt Aunt, Aunt Lou? Lou yeah oh I remembered her name oh um when Aunt Lou was on I have no re- recollection of what she did or said baby she just delivered no. the baby she delivered the baby right. right. Um, okay, I know. you got to see her face. You know, it, Hearst is in I town. Know. I wanted, I wanted, uh, not, I don't need to see exactly between Hearst and Aunt Lou, but I wanted to know what Aunt Lou thought about 
George Hurst being in town after 10 years because they came into Deadwood together and Lou presumably stayed behind. Mm -hmm. What does she think about this man being back? Does she still blame him for her son's death? There could have been, there could have been something there, even if it was just a couple of lines of dialogue to make me feel like she was more than just a, a prop. I wanted to know more about, you know, Right. I mean, in a lot of cases, okay, there I, are things- I, see, I see for that character, I see why you would want to hear from her. And the thing is that, as you say, some things can be indicated in one or two lines without, you know, it doesn't have to be a five minute thing. It doesn't even have to be a, a third. It doesn't even have to be a full minute thing. If they're going to be in the in it anyway, it would be nice to just have, you know, have that time be meaningful yeah the only person i felt was really underserved was dan same yeah it would have been nice to see dan do something or say something or you know and have a moment i guess he did have a moment i guess he did have a moment when something in the gem obviously because he's always in the gem he uh did some somebody was going to come up the stairs or something oh yeah al's office and he like stopped them from coming up or tried to stop them or have an interaction with them anyway he got cut it's part of the 30 minutes that got cut which is Unfortunate. Thirty yeah. minutes. So I'm gonna give this. Da, 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 be, it does feel like a miracle, just like Joe said. It is immeasurably better than Twin Peaks: The Return, which is a <laughs> colossal dumpster fire of a garbage fuck up of an enterprise. No matter what the critics will have you believe, yeah, this is this is pretty much what I wanted. Yeah, I I can see like yeah, Aunt Lou underserved, Dan underserved, Sophia didn't care about Sophia. Would have just presumed that she never got off the train. She never came to Deadwood. Like there, there were some decisions that were made. There's some material that was cut, probably that could have stayed in. But so it's not perfect, but it's nearly perfect. So I'll give it nine and a half out of ten. Babies sneezing in the faces of saloon keepers. <laughs> That's the Lord's blessing come upon you, Al. That's him leaning down to kiss your cheek. That also could be what killed him. <laughs> yeah, he didn't seem to die of flu or something. So because numbers are important, and this is an important thing that we do, this averages out to a 9.38, which in the scheme of things makes this our third favorite, if we call this an episode. Nice. nice. So top three, defo. <clears throat> and that's it. We're done. All right. What? No more Deadwood ever again. Unless we get that Blu-ray with the 30 minutes, and then we'll have to do a, it won't be a full episode Miss- though, but we can- A Missing Pieces? Like a Missing Pieces style- episode yeah. yeah i mean theoretically uh we could so oh, what are we talking about next time on the podcast back to our hbo dramas what are we covering of course i can't find it nobody remembers come on game I of thrones no we did game of thrones so what came after game of thrones? we're talking about the david milch series luck that's the one with the horse races oh and right. the aaron sorkin drama the newsroom mm. oh boy <laughs> yeah so, two great writers. <laughs> two great writers, two questionable pilots. Uh, <laughs> send us your feedback, hoopalcast at gmail.com. Go on to Facebook and search for Hoopalcast, and there you will find the Facebook group. Please join. It'd be great to have you. We talk about Deadwood, we talk about HBO shows. Talk with uh, your fellow fans. Why wouldn't you? And go on Twitter. You can follow me at Hoopalcast. Although I don't really know why you would. Barely use Twitter. <laughs> but theoretically, you could do that. You could also find the website, hoopalcast.com. Anyone want to promote anything? Uh, 
Matt, do you have a podcast that you do? Uh, I have a Shenmue podcast. What's Shenmue? Shenmue it's a video game. Never heard it's of it. It's an old video game. Many people haven't. <laughs> uh, it's a very entertaining uh, to watch video game. Well, entertaining in like, kind of like a boring way, but just so, the voiceover <laughs> acting is... <laughs> The voiceover acting is fantastic. It's so bad, it's a good thing. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I love it. Uh, I've I've been in the same room on on like Skype with like like a friend one time, and um, Matt was playing Shenmue in the background, and she's like, "What is going on? What is this? I love it." <laughs> she had no idea what it was, but she's like, "This is really entertaining." <laughs> Are you going to play it, Matt? Because uh, it's free on Game Pass. I probably won't, but I might. You bastard. <laughs> you put out 57 episodes of that podcast. Yeah. Look at all the five-star reviews. This guy says, popped a boner, five stars. Love listening to the Swallow <laughs> Network. You guys are great. Whoa. Popped a boner. That's amazing. Good job. Okay. I guess we're also sexy hosts. Apparently. Oh. Are you going up against Carol and Will? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> I can't wait to see who wins. <laughs> FYI, I'm not I'm not voting for Matt. I'm voting for Will. <laughs> Sorry, Carol. No, it's okay. <laughs> I don't expect many votes. <laughs> you already got Joe's. That's right. Which I appreciate, Joe. Hey, but sp- speaking of Sexy Willie Johnson. He and I do a podcast together called Spartacast. <laughs> That's Spartacast.com. We talk about the Stars series Spartacus. We're in the final season. It's been a few months since we recorded an episode, but we should do that soon because we want to finish that show. I feel like that's another podcast that started out very wobbly, but has gotten better. <laughs> well, podcasts have a tendency to start out wobbly. TV shows do too. Yeah, exactly. Most recently, I've been on the Village Fashion Center podcast. Really? Which is about the TV show The Prisoner. I was just on talking about the last episode of the original show, and today I recorded a coverage of the first episode of the 2009 miniseries. So Excellent. You can check me out on Village Fashion Center. I also send in feedback every week. <laughs> and if it had not been for that, I probably would have stopped watching the show. Yeah, like I did. <laughs> and I guess that's it. I haven't been on anything else. I'll be on The Defenders soon to talk about Jessica Jones. Mm. This uh, recording may come out too late for this to matter, but if it doesn't, please go on to Kickstarter and back Matt Zilwersites' book, A Lie Agreed Upon, The Deadwood Chronicles. It's just over halfway to its funding goal with 16 days left. So back that book. All right. It's a Deadwood book behind-the-scenes stuff about the making of, of Deadwood the show, all kinds of interviews and things. Uh, so please do support that endeavor. You can find the link to that through the Facebook group. Okay, I think we're done. All right. Cool. Thank you all. Thank you, Deadwood. Goodbye, Deadwood. Bye-bye, Deadwood. And, and fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> Beat you to it. Damn it. <laughs> she stole your... Beat us she all. stole your sign-off. Yeah. Just like you stole her rating. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I deserve it. It's fair. We've, we're uh, we're even now. Yeah.
if he wants to be mayor, he's going to have to defeat Farnham in Mortal Kombat first. Mortal Kombat! I don't think anybody would mind seeing that. <laughs> What's the fatality? What What would he do to Farnham? Yep. Uh, he would... Ooh. I mean, what 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 is there to his character besides his Jewishness and his and his? <laughs> uh, Jewish? Or did I? Mean, no, no, not Farnham. Oh, Saul. Oh, yeah. Saul. Yeah. How would he finish off Farnham in Mortal Kombat? <laughs> yeah, he. He would well, summon Moses. <laughs> so, oh yes, he would like part yeah. the. He would like split split Farnham's body in two, just like Moses parted the Red Sea. When he yes. stomped on that glass <laughs> at the wedding, he picked up the glass and <laughs> right in Farnham's neck. Yes. The- <laughs> Yeah. The um, didn't he shoot somebody in this one? Or, you know what he what it what it is what his fatality is? It's Trixie. Trixie would just come off from like come out from off screen, and she would just shoot him. Yeah, <laughs> she would hike up her skirts and shoot him. <laughs> I just picture him summoning Moses, like in South Park. Explain yourself. I don't know. <laughs> this is what Moses looks like in South Park. You don't have to. He's like a They sure don't try very hard, do they? <laughs> some sort of what? What is that? No, some sort of dreidel shaped the uh, neon <laughs> god. Okay. I don't know. Okay, well moving on. Um feedback. <laughs> yes, please. One star. Or one star. 